Hey, everybody, welcome to this week's episode of the Get Heard podcast. My guest is Susan Sloan, who's the author of A Seat at the Table, Women, Diplomacy, and Lessons for the World. She works for a global nonprofit advocacy organization in Washington, D.C., where she engages with diplomats, government officials, community organizers, and international leaders. So an awesome episode today focused on, well, we go over a lot of things, but her niche is women in leadership, and it's what she talks about in her book. So we go into a lot of detail on that and just kind of leadership in general. So great conversation with Susan. I hope you enjoy. Welcome to the Get Heard with Ian Roth podcast, where it is our mission to enable leaders to effectively engage and motivate their audience through written and verbal communication. Hello, everybody. This is the Get Heard podcast, and my guest today is the author of A Seat at the Table, Women, Diplomacy, and Lessons for the World. And I was going to say at the age of 30, she traveled to all seven continents because I think that is just pretty cool. Susan Sloan, how are you doing, Susan? I'm doing great. How are you? I am outstanding. And how was Antarctica? Because I don't think I'll ever make it there in my life, and I just have to know. It was outstanding. I actually highly recommend you go, Ian. Uh, It's peaceful and quiet, and it's nothing like I've ever experienced before. Uh, I think the grace of the ice and the snow, hearing whales and the penguins, uh, you really are uh, in this beautiful part of our world that's completely natural. So nothing quite like it. Highly recommend if people can go to go, just be careful going down through the Drake Passage. It's not for the faint of heart or your stomach. What time of year did you go? In their summertime, so uh, in North American wintertime around January. Uh, yeah, I think it was like January, close to February. And how cold is it in in their summertime down there? Well, it was around 30 to 40 degrees Fahrenheit. So it really wasn't that bad. Uh, but the, the temperature down there has been getting warmer over the past few decades. Uh, and the ice has been... I think melting significantly. So there's been a shift in the coldness that's uh, down in Antarctica. Okay. So a summer tropical temperature of 30 degrees sounds like a tropical paradise to me, Susan. (laughs) Right. Yeah. No, it was, it was worth going though. It was definitely worth going. The penguins seemed it didn't bother them. So they were enjoying it. I would love to see penguins just interact in their natural habitat. That would be so cool. Yeah, it was neat to see. They're um, definitely uh, have great personalities, and uh, they're fun to watch. They they have their own their own way of living. I'll tell you that. That's awesome, and I we hope my wife and I once our kids are out of the house, they're very young now. We hope to travel the world more. I think seven continents is pretty lofty, but if we can get to six of them, I think that would be a huge win for the Roth family. Well, I support the Roth family. Go Roth yes. family, go. Yes. Thank you so much, Susan. So yeah, I'm so excited to have you on, on the show today to talk about, just from what we were discussing, strength in numbers and inclusiveness for solutions. So I guess before we get into those, do you mind telling the listeners a little bit more about yourself outside of the seven continent Susan that we just discussed? <laughs> sure. Uh, I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia in the South and uh, went to school at University of Georgia for undergrad, Go Dogs. Uh, I eventually made my way up to Washington, D.C. after working a few years in Atlanta. And uh, in Washington, D.C., I was working for an international travel organization and then pivoted my way into diplomacy. And while working in diplomacy for a global advocacy organization, 
I also got my graduate degree from Georgetown University in Global Strategic Communications. And after that program and continuing to work, I got the opportunity to write a book. And uh, that's how the book came to be. So it's about women in diplomacy, where I interviewed about 30 ambassadors, foreign ministers, government officials, uh, all about the lens of leadership and why gender equality and parity around the table and diversity brings better solutions for the world. So uh, that's what I've been doing with my life so far. That's great. I know outside of our, oh, I guess in our little military town here in Fort Campbell, we have a bunch of Georgia Bulldog fans. So you're at least in good company and well represented here in Clarksville, Tennessee. Well, shout out to our Bulldog Nation. <laughs> yes. Yes. Awesome. So that that's quite the, I would say that's a cool career. I mean, diplomacy, kind of exploring the gender equality or inequality, depending on how you look at it. And what are, I guess, let's just jump right into, you know, you and I are discussing strength in numbers. Kind of what do you mean by that? And maybe what, how have you seen that used successfully and maybe unsuccessfully? Well, there's a few ideas with strength in numbers. And I, I speak about this and I write about this in the book. Uh, there's one story that, that comes to mind that I think really brings it out. When I interviewed the director general of UNESCO, Irina Bokova, she was the first woman to be in that position. She spoke about the numbers uh, representing different causes. For instance, when she came into her role, there were only about 23% of leadership positions held by women. And so to get certain initiatives across, uh, especially that had to deal with women and children, uh, there needed to be more women in managerial roles who were helping make those decisions to bring these ideas to the forefront. So she worked with her partners, who were both men and women, to get more women in, in these different roles for decision-making. And it really helped their initiatives quite a bit. Uh, and when she left her role, she really saw this critical mass of more of equality between men and women as around 50% uh, of the director level and higher were held by women. And so reaching that equality uh, brought these different ideas. And so when you think about strength and numbers, uh, about who's around the table, who's making decisions, this idea of who are the numbers and who is represented. So when we're looking at um, the military or community building or government, the numbers need to represent the people they're representing. Uh, and that's something I learned from her uh, through her process of leadership. And, and there's another story I'll tell you uh, about this strength in numbers idea. And it came from the ambassador of Kosovo who also happened to be the first woman ambassador placed in the United States uh, on behalf of her country. And she helped when Kosovo was gaining their independence and she was in parliament. And they had a great number of men and women both creating the laws of the country. So think about this country has just come into independence into this democracy and is leaving Yugoslavia and now gets to create a constitution really from scratch. So something America that we've done, you know, centuries ago, essentially, uh, they were just doing uh, right into the 90s. And so while she, they were drafting the laws, she realized that language was quite important. And in their parliament, they were writing the language that the president and the first lady, and then the next line said, the next line said, the president and the first lady. And so she stopped the, 
the, the parliament. And so think about all these people in this large room. She stops everyone and makes a motion for an amendment and said, uh, we might consider taking out the first lady and just putting spouse because one day we might have a, a woman president. And the whole room erupted in laughter, which is quite embarrassing. Think about that. If, the, if we were in Congress here in the United States and a member of Congress said something and everyone laughed at that person. And so the strength in numbers of almost have humiliation, right? So the negative force of, of numbers. Uh, but she pressed on, actually. And she kept saying into the microphone, we got to pass this amendment. The language needs to be changed. It's sexist. And uh, they actually did pass the amendment. And a few years later, they had their first woman president. So it was actually quite important that that language got changed. So language, this idea of numbers of either being a positive force or even sometimes a negative force uh, is something that we all deal with in our lives. Yeah, definitely, Susan. And I think just like you said, if someone said that in our Congress, well, today, they, they would obviously be crazy because women are, while, while still have not held the presidency in our country, have been you know just right there, whether it's we've had a handful of female governors, one who was almost elected president and I don't want to say it is normal, but it is, I guess, more normal than a lot of our other peer countries. So it's a great point. And probably 10, 15 years ago, maybe even in the United States, there would have been laughter that erupted if something similar was stated. So I think while we still have a long way to go, I think we have come a long way as a nation in, in that regard. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, every nation can always do to do more to for more equality. But uh, the numbers game, it, I think, is interesting of who's supporting what and how they're supporting it. And so when we think about this idea and as leaders, uh, when someone presents uh, essentially an idea at the table, uh, do the people around the table, the numbers around the table, are we do we mock that idea or do we take it in and listen to it? And so strength in numbers also has to deal with leadership, with how leaders see their people and how their people see them and how they communicate between the two. Because numbers, the strength in numbers can also go the opposite way if you don't have people that believe in you, especially with leadership. Uh, the adverse can happen and uh, you may end up not being a leader anymore or being dethroned rather. <laughs> Right. I mean, a whole group of people going together in a negative way can easily, you know, embarrass or overthrow something else. That's a great point, Susan. Going back to, you mentioned gender equality or gender inequality. Should people look to hire or fill positions of a specific gender just for the sake of it being a, a different gender that's usually in that role or you know, I don't know what I'm trying to ask you here. Do you kind of get where I'm going? <laughs> I do, and I think you're you're trying to be uh, maybe politically correct, and it's okay. I'm trying you, to you exactly. Can, yeah, you can ask me anyway. This question, uh, look, men and women, I think have different attributes, and I write about this in the book. If we go back to, uh, you know, prehistoric times and uh, and farming times, men were essentially hunters strategic focus, laser focus, and women were gatherers. We were seeing the whole field, right? We were have the overlay of the land. Uh, those together, those attributes together can be very powerful. One-on-one -on -one by themselves uh, are not as powerful. So I see men and women in the genders really working as a team. That's, that's the secret sauce. Now, when you're thinking about who to hire, 
uh, if it's a man or a woman and they have the both different attributes, what it comes down to is who you like more in the workplace, right? And who you're going to get along with. I mean, that's, that's what it always comes down to. Now, how you're creating your teams of what their strengths are, that's really important. Their strengths will be different. I guarantee it based on their experiences, where they grew up, where they went to school, what jobs they've held, uh, their even their family dynamics. I will say, though, that women are inherently hard workers and usually run a whole household and take a job on top of that and uh, are able to do quite a bit. But there was a recent statistic that came out uh, in Foreign Policy magazine that I'll share with you that companies with the highest percentage of women in management are 47% more profitable than the lowest. So they're 47% more profitable with having women in positions of management. So those companies, so that's saying that the profits are larger with having more women in management. Uh, So that's like a bottom line if you're a business owner, right? Uh, Now, what I've found through my research and the interviews I did for this book, uh, and this story actually goes from Australia. So uh, an ambassador from Australia, I interviewed her, and their foreign ministry, their government, made a shift into really looking at gender equality for this idea of inclusiveness. And what they did is they found that the secret percentage that everyone needs to do, whether it's a company, a government, or anywhere, is to have 40% men, 40% women, and 20% either. That is the percentage that creates culture change, idea shifting, more profits. That's the percentage that you want to look at for your managers, for your supervisors, and basically for the composition of your workforce. In addition to that, something that I learned is that culture change happens over time. Now, you don't want to have a quota. A quota means you're saying, oh, we need to have these type of people, whether it means uh, maybe it's women, maybe it's diverse, like whatever it is your quota is. A quota just says you want to fill it so you can say that you have this percentage amount of people to fill that quota. That doesn't work. Quotas do not work. If someone's not qualified and you put them in in a position that they're not qualified for, they're not going to succeed and your company is not going to benefit from their working in that position. Now, what will work are targets. If you say, okay, by this year, we want to hit 30% women and then next year we want to hit 31 and you keep ratcheting it up so you grow it. If you have a target, that's aspirational. That means that they're not people walking through your doors who are qualified, that you're not hiring people who are unqualified. And so targets and using that percentage points of 40, 40, 20, those two things can completely change your organization and your company. That's a great point, Susan. I, I like that you said targets do work and it's more it's more playing the long-term game as opposed to quotas is kind of like just putting a Band-Aid on something, getting people of different backgrounds in here for the sake of it, whether they're qualified or not. And you know that that is, I disagree with quotas. I think targets are great and are effective for the reasons you kind of outlined. And man, quotas just make me so frustrated. I don't like when people hire unqualified people just for the sake of being able to count that person as a statistic or something like that. I think that's a terrible way to operate, not just in business, but like in life. Completely. And even the person who's in the position, they probably don't like it that much either because they know they're not qualified for it or they know they just got hired for X, Y, or Z purpose. People want to feel uh, respected. They want to feel honored. They want to feel valued. 
And if you want to have someone, whether on a team or an employee, you have to make sure they're qualified and, and they have to want to be there. That's exactly right. I would just think how crummy would that be if, say, I were a woman and I got hired for a position and then a couple months down the road, I found out that this company uses quotas to hire people and, you know, maybe we're having a big push. We have a quota number to hire women. And I found out that, oh, my goodness, maybe I was just hired because I'm a woman and, you know, I'm, I'm not a good fit. That just I, I can see that causing a lot of self-doubt and insecurities. Completely. No one wants to be the token hire for whether being a woman or a diverse person from a different race. No one wants to be that person. We want to be hired on merit. And that's something also I heard from the ambassador of Denmark, this idea of what is merit and how do we look at who's qualified for what position. And in my book, I write about this. Uh, the, the Danish were Uh, really instrumental in how they looked at diplomacy and how they looked at their government. And they had very ancient ways of looking at things. And basically, the people who created this idea of qualifications and merit were older white men. And so when she got to the leadership table for the foreign ministry, she said, why are we basing merit on this? So there's another way to look at when you're uh, filling numbers and filling the room and not doing quotas and doing targets. Another thing organizations and leaders can do and teams can do is say, what are we looking at for merit? What are the qualifications and why are those the qualifications? So for instance, some colleagues that they were looking at to create ambassador roles and position different ambassadors around the world from Denmark to other countries they would look at qualifications of, oh, well, this person uh, knows Russian and has uh, done all this research about uh, Russia. Well, that's all good and well, but that's only one aspect of a qualification. What are we looking at for their leadership role? How do they manage a team? And when you're putting an ambassador in charge of an embassy, which is essentially a small company, are they good leaders? Do they have a good management style? How do they supervise? How do they motivate a team? It's all going well if someone can speak Russian, but if they can't motivate a team and be organized, then they're missing out on the complete package. So determining what merit and qualifications are needed for different organizations and, and different situations is imperative for success. And, and I believe that I look at different teams and I've worked with different teams and who is leading them and how they're leading them, how they're managing them has just as much of an effect as how educated that person is. Education is not everything. And just kind of like to what you alluded, Susan, I mean, you could have the same job, but in two different companies with two different company cultures and the different parts of merit. There could be different levels of merit for each position, depending on the company culture and other outlying variables. A hundred percent. A hundred percent agree. Yes. Uh, and, and I think organizations are changing now and it, leaders are changing now that we can't lead in the same way that we used to. Uh, there's a new generation coming up, Generation Z, and they value their time quite differently uh, than I'll say uh, the baby boomer generation, right? So every generation works differently and leads differently. And as we have the millennial generation rising up in the ranks of leadership, they're going to lead differently and manage differently. And so when we're looking at a workforce and looking at leadership, we also need to think about our different generations of how we lead, how we manage, and and 
base our teams on multiple things, not only on gender equality, on diversity, but also of age, because we think and see things differently based on our age and based on our generation. That's a great point. And we often think of things like equality being, you know, race, gender, all that stuff. But age is a, is a huge aspect also as, as the baby boomers are kind of going into retirement. You have, I think, Gen, Gen X, the millennials, and then Gen Z coming up. And we all kind of have our different flair on how we operate and how we lead. Exactly. And I think having a mix makes you a stronger team. Uh, I'm not saying we should not get rid of the older generation just because uh, the new generations are coming in. There's a lot of wisdom and a lot of lessons that we can can use. And it's the mix between all of those generations that really makes a powerful workforce. And, and we can learn from things from each other far more than just staying with our own kind, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. I mean, I think of my parents as the baby boomers and myself as a millennial. My parents definitely taught me things and life lessons from their baby boomer perspective that I don't think another generation would have. They obviously wouldn't have gone through to learn and and kind of experience things that way that I'm happy that they taught me because, you know, they grew up through the 60s, 70s and kind of saw the world through a different lens that I'm ever going to see it through just as you know, we're a couple decades apart, but they were able to speak with me about some significant events that went on during their time. And you know, I think that I am a better person and kind of just have that in the back of my, just in the back of my head from their experiences. And I appreciate it. I feel the same way uh, about my folks too. Uh, I definitely do. And, and I know uh, that this podcast is about leadership and communication and the, the aspect of communication I find quite interesting with the different generations as well, that different generations communicate differently. I, I think the upcoming generations are more open about a multitude of life aspects uh, and social context. So even uh, from sex and religion to politics, people speak about more things at the dinner table and, and more things in public than ever before. And are more willing to have these conversations. And if we are able to communicate with older generations and and hear their viewpoints on on things that they probably never were asked or even spoke about, we could actually learn a lot. Yeah, that is certainly true. And wh- why do you think younger generations are more apt to share things that were maybe taboo a, a couple of decades ago? Technology. Technology has spread communication in a far different way than ever before. If you think back to different war times, my my grandfather uh, was a one-star general in the army, and he would write letters to his wife and the children and his family back home in the United States. Now, if people are deployed, they are on WhatsApp, they are texting, they are, are Skyping, Zooming, FaceTiming, communicating in a far different way. So communications change. So the topics that you can discuss and the range that you can discuss are far more intricate uh, than how you would necessarily write in a letter, right? And you wouldn't receive a letter for weeks or months on end. Now we, and instantaneously, we can communicate on so many topics. So I think more topics are open to us. I also think that our culture and society has changed. And things that were taboo, that weren't discussed, they're now on television. 
I mean, think back to the days of I Love Lucy. I mean, I Love Lucy, her and her husband slept in separate beds on television because of laws uh, with what was obscene on television. Now, if you think about what's on television or HBO, oh my gosh, like (laughs) the censors would have a field day. So we're in a different time. Yeah. Imagine Game of Thrones back in the 50s and 60s. That's a scary world. Or a 1950s version of the Game of Thrones. Yeah, <laughs> sure, right. That would be, yeah, that would not be as entertaining for some reason. I don't know. I don't know if many, as many people would have watched it. I don't think as many people would be talking about it, uh, yeah. <laughs> especially at the, the office water cooler. Yeah. Very true. Yeah, and so younger people share more information. Do you think the, I mean, the technology's there, that is a fact, but do you think the technology encourages them? Are they sharing more because the technology is there? What do you think? Well, yes and no. Uh, Some of my friends who have uh, teenagers who are going in for leaving high school and going into college, they uh, have fewer parties and fewer friends because they live almost on this virtual world of gaming and different things versus I think with my generation, we we went to parties and we had friends and we were rarely online because their online really didn't exist as much. Uh, so technology has definitely changed, but with the conversations, uh, our social aspects of culture within every country has changed and the topics that we're discussing they have changed quite a bit. Uh, If you look a few years ago, we had the passage of gay marriage. That was the conversations people were having in their homes because it was happening as a country, right? Uh, We have a social movement going on in the United States uh, with African-Americans and criminal justice reform. Now, that conversation probably was happening also in the 1950s and 1960s, but from a different lens. It was more uh, having to do with voting and civil rights. And now we're having another wave of a conversation. So there seems to be these waves of conversations and that people want to have. I do believe that every generation has some kind of political unrest and some kind of social change that they end up discussing. There is more content out there to consume though. So So there's more stuff available and people are uh, like why are people more outspoken now? I mean, is it because there's more stuff available that people feel that they need to voice their opinion on it? it would you say that's fair? Well, I don't know. We, we might be thinking, yeah, people are more outspoken. But look at the Vietnam War. There were many uh, celebrities who were outspoken during the Vietnam War. Uh, look at John Lennon, right? Uh, look at, I'm going blank on her name right now. Jane Fonda. Jane Fonda. I mean, that was being outspoken, right? People saw that. It was in the media. It was in attention. And and now there's just more people to be outspoken with, and there's more channels to consume them on. We can consume them on Instagram, on YouTube, on a talk show, TV, what I mean, what Twitter, whatever it is. Um, there are just more people that are able to have a platform to speak. And so now we have uh, a choice in who we choose to listen to. There are more people to listen to now because they're more accessible. and. That's something with social change. We have more accessibility, but are we actually doing something with it? So maybe the number of people has not increased, but because there are more platforms and it's a lot easier for them to get their message out to the world, it just 
seems like there are more because many people before who had those opinions just did not have the means to get their voice out is I think what you're saying. Exactly. I mean, look, you have a podcast, right? That reaches X amount of people. If you were trying to have a radio talk show uh, 50 years ago, it'd be quite different, right? There would be fewer people to have that opportunity. But now from probably the comfort of your own studio, you can talk to anyone around the world and get a point across and a message across. This would have not have happened 50 years ago. Right. Yeah. You're, you're very, very true. And it would, the limited technology that did exist for radio, certainly not a podcast, but I mean, like radio personalities were a huge deal. I mean, they were celebrities in, even if it was just your little regional area, likely if you grew up in some small town in Ohio you knew who your local radio personality or DJ was. I mean, that was like, oh my goodness, he has this platform to talk to everybody in the community. I know who he is. I kind of know what he stands for. And technology has certainly helped people get their message out there. Exactly. And and now so many other people can be a leader and, and communicate on a different level. And that's what we're seeing with uh, with social change and also communication and leadership is that people can have different platforms to get an idea across and we have people listening to them. So using your leadership skills and losing your, using your communication skills and what you're actually sharing with people is so important right now because people are listening and it doesn't matter how many people, it's just that people are listening. And so how you choose to lead, how you choose to represent yourself uh, is is imperative. It is. And the legacy that you leave online, whether it's social media, podcasts, what have you, is likely going to be around longer than you are. So we need to be very intentional and think of what we are putting out there because it will be there long after we are gone. We have come a long way and we, we still have a lot, you know, a long way to go. Uh, but I think it, what was it? Ellen DeGeneres, who, um, she came out, uh, what, uh, in the Time Magazine in 1997 and, and also her show, she came out on her show and that was the late nineties. So we're really, we're not that far away from, uh, this idea of social, what's taboo, what's not, um, and even homosexuality within uh, the context of the media. And so when you think how far we've come in the past, what, I mean, you know, 20, 30 years, uh, that's a lot of social change in a very short period of time. I am very curious what's going to happen in the next 20 years, in the next 30 years, uh, because we'll have this technology, we will have a different generation in leadership, and our world will be different. I mean, even with uh, the coronavirus, our world will be different uh, on so many different levels. But even though our world will be different, I do think the inherent traits of leaders, and I found this out in my book and doing the research, the inherent traits of leaders will always remain the same. Integrity honesty, inclusiveness, uh, listening, those traits will stand the test of time. Indeed they will. And regardless of what era in human civilization you're looking at, I would argue that those who we generally deem as some of, some of the best leaders to have ever lived exhibit all of those traits very, very consistently, if not their whole entire lives. So, I mean, that's 
those are some great leadership pillars that you just mentioned there, and they will indeed stand the test of time. I think so, and I hope so. <laughs> which which one of those is, I don't want to say the most important, but which one of those is maybe your favorite or speaks the most to you? If you have to pick one. If I have to, pick, I one, if I have yeah. to pick one. Integrity. Uh, it's something that I, I grew up with, uh, with my parents drilling into me of having integrity, uh, with everything that you do, these like strong moral principles, uh, and, and being honest, uh, even in the face of when people don't really want to hear honesty, uh, integrity is something it, and almost like uh, a reputation, right? It takes a very long time to build it. And it can take it one second to bring it crashing down. And so if you can maintain that as a leader, that really says something. Uh, I do find that integrity also comes, hopefully, with a little bit of humility, uh, that they should be intertwined. And so if I had to choose one one leadership aspect, uh, my number one, it would it's definitely integrity. That's great. I usually... I tend to just pick two when people ask me and the what the other word you just said, humility. So my, my two are humility and trust that I like to stick to. But I think being humble is so important and it's so often overlooked and so often discouraged in today's society. But being humble, being, you know, admitting that you have flaws, but you're still working through them and being approachable, all those things that come with being humble, I think is extremely important too. It's very important. And I heard that from the Finnish ambassador when I sat down with her to interview her for the book. Uh, when she gathers her team at the embassy and throughout her career, she's done this. She always comes from a place of humility. And what she does is she has everyone tell their ideas and no idea is necessarily a bad idea. She listens and gets everyone a chance to speak. Uh, and then bases her, her decision on that information. And she believes that the power of other ideas and other people make her a stronger leader and a better decision maker. And the humility that she doesn't know everything when she comes to that decision-making table uh, to learn from her team and different experts. Uh, it was such a fascinating conversation. I write about it in the book. Uh, it was a really fascinating conversation. And and I, I started to see this theme in different interviews that many of the women that I sat down with or were on the phone with if they were abroad they had this trait of humility. And I believe as a leader, having that is crucial, especially in team building. If you have a leader that comes in that that knows it all and doesn't get information or support from the team, what's the point of having a team? Uh, they also should be your trusted advisors. And that humility that you don't know everything uh, and saying you don't know everything gives the space for creativity. And when you have that space, you often, you often get better solutions. That is so true. And something I try to practice and, you know, even in the military where it's more authoritative and even kind of dictatorial, when I have my team around being a commander, I, I want to hear everybody's idea. It doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to choose your idea to execute upon, but I just want to hear your perspective, your ideas, because we all have different unique backgrounds. And I just want to hear your take on something, something that can give me something to kind of think on and kind of go around the table, just like you said, with the Finnish ambassador. And it's just, 
good to have different perspectives and things that I never would have thought of. Often people have recommended to me and like, well, shoot, that's a great idea. Why don't we try that? And that's the idea we end up going with. And whether it's successful or not, it's something that I never would have thought of in a million years. So humility, extremely important. And there's also this idea when uh, you're sharing ideas, especially with the team, uh, instead of responding to an idea with no, but like, no, but that's not going to work. Responding to an idea with yes. And, and it's also uh, people do this and in, in when they do improv, right? Improv, in, yes. in comedy. And so yes. And so when you yes, and a team member and you build upon it and you know, I, I think back to a friend of mine who said to me, Susan, you know, not all ideas are good ideas. You know, you could say that you want to go kill somebody. That's not going to be the great idea, you know? So you got to figure out which ideas are actually you're going to go with. So you could have people on a team that maybe they're sharing some ideas that, uh, that aren't really going to work, but you still yes and it because eventually it's going to come up with the solution that's going to best benefit the, the team or the resolution, depending upon how you look at it. And I saw this also with uh, one woman I interviewed from the State Department who she was on a communications team that was helping combat ISIS online and running the communications aspect with uh, different countries. And her idea of coming together and hearing different options on how to effectively uh, defeat ISIS online really took a team of listening to multi, multi-level of ideas. And had she not done that strategy, she and her team wouldn't have effectively been able to gain control over the conversation that ISIS was dominating online. And I write about this extensively in the book, and it's actually a, it's a pretty fascinating story. So I hope folks grab the book and check out the story. But uh, how you communicate and how you listen to others. And if you have the humility to take multiple ideas, um, you can do so many things with. Yes, Susan, another great point. And wow, I couldn't agree more with so much, so many of the things that, that you're discussing here. And you mentioned a lot of examples of your book. And as we're wrapping up here, where can people check out your book, A Seat at the Table, Women, Diplomacy, and Lessons for the World? It is available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. You can also go to my website, susansloan.com, and check out uh, more information about the book. And the audiobook comes out uh, in a few months as well. So the paperback is out. You can order it. And uh, feel free to get in touch with me as well. I'm, I'm also on Twitter, so at Real Susan Sloan. Awesome. Is there a Kindle version of your book? There is a Kindle version. You can get the Kindle awesome. version. You can get the Nook version. Get all the versions. Yes. Well, Susan, it has been a pleasure having you on the show. Do you have any parting words as we're heading out of here? Well, Ian, thank you for having me. And I know that as many of the folks who listen to this podcast are leaders or aspiring leaders, uh, just know that what you do and how you lead is going to affect many lives. And if there's one thing that I learned from writing this book is that you matter so much and also the people that you're leading are following you for a reason. And you have not only an obligation, but an opportunity to change lives and create situations for success. And you have convening power. And convening power is one of the biggest powers that you're ever going to have. And how you convene voices around the table with diversity, with integrity, and hopefully with equality 
that's how we're going to change future generations. So remember your convening power. Well said, Susan. It's been a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. That's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for checking out the Get Heard podcast. If you want to do something to support the show, I would greatly appreciate if you could share the show with a friend, shoot it to them from Spotify, tell them to look it up on Apple Podcasts, whatever. And if you want to find out all the latest things I have going on, go to my brand new website, TalkingLlama.com. Check out all the stuff and services I offer there and actually have another podcast called the Talking Llama Podcast that you can listen to on that site also. So stay safe out there. And again, couldn't be doing this without you guys. So I appreciate all the support. Take care.